Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back, nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There. I'm sitting across from my co-host, Jen, who will be telling our story today. Hello. And um, I will start us off with a little announcement. Okay. Or like, I guess, interesting news. I don't know. It's not science news. Just a little announcement. A nugget. There's gonna be a new Netflix series coming out. I don't know if you have heard of it, Jen. I'm really excited about it. I can tell. Narrated and produced. By Chevy Chase? No. (laughs) That would be amazing. By Barack Obama. (gasps) Oh, wait. No, I know. I heard about this. It's called Our Great National Parks. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I posted something, a story Mm -hmm. or something, or maybe tweeted something. I don't know. Twitter still makes me nervous. But (laughs) I did something along those lines because I saw it and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, it's a series. So I guess they're going to go across all the the national parks mm-hmm. um i'll just read a little thing from forbes.com get set to get inspired by netflix's breathtakingly beautiful new five-part series our great national parks premiering april 13th here in guam that'll be tomorrow okay for everyone else it'll be like two days from now i think it'll be like april 14th for us Uh uh-huh like whenever it has the dates i'm always like we get it first but we don't we we get it last because we are here first where america's day begins (sighs) that's right so everyone check that business out i think i think it's gonna be good that's a pretty sweet gig yeah for like post presidency i always wonder like what do you do after you're president you just take a really long nap (laughs) just like that was really hard i mean Uh. have you ever seen those pictures of like presidents when they first take office and presidents when they leave oh yeah and just the amount of aging obama yeah he went gray yes the white house made him gray eight years but still are you ready for a little science news i am all right so i read this the other week And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to talk about this for my science news. It is from IFL Science. Mm -hmm. And the title of this article is Microplastics Found in Live Human Lung Tissue for the First Time. Ew. Did you read about this? I knew they were starting to find it in people. People. Like Mm -hmm. in their, even in their bloodstream. And Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, so this is the first time they found it in a live person so microplastics are a huge huge problem mm-hmm. um, of course we see it a lot when you do beach cleanups here in the ocean they're awful you see it in birds fish all sorts of animals that consume all the trash that we throw out but there was a new study and it is i don't think it's been published yet but it's set to be published in the journal science of the total environment and this is where they have found microplastic pollution deep in the lung tissue of living humans for the first time. Uh, the lead author is Laura Sadovsky. She is a senior lecturer in respiratory medicine at Hull York Medical School. And she said microplastics have previously been found in human cadaver autopsy samples. This is the first robust study to show microplastics in lungs from live people. The research used lung tissue samples from living patients who are undergoing surgical procedures as part of their routine care. So probably they have, I would think maybe like they've had cancer in the past. And maybe they're getting a small tissue sample, like little biopsy to check Mm -hmm. how they're doing. They also sent those 
tissue samples to Castle Hill Hospital in East Yorkshire. Okay, I guess they took more than one sample, Jen. Because it says that they sent a second sample, like a healthier sample, to these people doing the study. Mm -hmm. And they said out of 13 lung samples, a staggering 11, 11. Wait, wait, wait. From 13 13 different people? 13 different people. 11 of them had microplastics. Microplastics in them. They said the most common type of microplastic was PET. It's used to make polypropylene, plastic packaging, water bottles, things for pipes, mm-hmm. and uh, resin. And it's often oh. used as, as an adhesive or a sealant. How would we, how would you... How would you maybe in, inhale, inhale it? it? yeah. Okay, Sadovsky said, we did not expect to find the highest number of particles in the low lower regions of the lungs or particles of the sizes we found. It is surprising as the airways are smaller in the lower parts of the lung, and we would have expected particles of these sizes to be filtered out or trapped before getting this deep. So it doesn't really say how large they were but i'm assuming that if it's in things like resin or adhesive or sealant Mm -hmm. that could be not wearing the proper mask if you're like spraying some kind of sealant or using adhesive like that kind of Uh stuff interestingly the only samples that didn't have microplastic infiltration they didn't have microplastics in them were from female donors and the team thinks that might be because men have larger lungs and larger airways so they like breathe in more I guess. They're mouth breathers. <laughs> They're mouth breathers. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is a really small study group, like 13 people. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, if there's more information about what they do for a living, right? Because if they do work in some sort of... They just work in a PET factory. <laughs> just work in a plastic factory. And they're like, I don't know how they got plastic so in their crazy. lungs. So crazy. Yeah. Weird. The thing, though, that's good about this is that they're setting this study for publication, which Mm -hmm. means that more people, there are going to be future studies about this happening for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are already bombarded with microplastics every day of our lives, and it's possible even in utero, you know, like you were saying in the bloodstream, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the effects of microplastics being in our systems have not been, that hasn't been studied yet. I mean, I'm sure there are effects, but there's not a lot of detail known about it. Sadovsky and her colleagues are hoping, though, that this will get more exposure and more people will be interested in studying microplastics in living humans. I mean, again, with the water bottles. I just remember like the first time I I saw a water bottle. I was like, that's funny. That's stupid, right? Why would you buy water? You can just get it from the tap. You can get it from a water fountain. Why would you buy a plastic Uh bottle of water? It was the most bougie thing ever. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And now it's just everywhere. So ubiquitous. It's like when you go to the checkout. At the grocery store, and they mm-hmm. say, "Are you getting water? Are you getting water bottles today?" And you're are just you going like, to get a case of water? No, no, I don't need a case of water. I'm good. I'll just leave it off with this little quote from Sadovsky. She says, This data provides an important advance in the field of air pollution, microplastics, and human health. The characterization of types and levels of microplastics we have found can now inform realistic conditions for laboratory exposure experiments with the aim of determining health impacts. Kind of shocking. A little bit. I mean, shocking and not shocking. Mm -hmm. Just the amount of pollutants that we're exposed to all the time. I am uh, excited for your story today, Jen. I'm glad because I have been planning to do this one for a little while. And it's a little bit of a survival story. Which is a little break from just when we just talk about animals. I do love a survival story. Well, you've been telling a lot of survival stories lately. We get Mm. a lot of great ideas. And we have some of our own that we're holding on to. I was reading on the news. I read an article about these two little boys that were lost in the Amazon. Their names were Galaco, I think, and Gleason Ferriera. Um, They're eight and six years old. So they were out trying to catch some birds and they got lost in the jungle near Manacore, Amazonia's state. I want to say it was maybe in 
Brazil? I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, after the boys disappeared, the family got really worried, started looking for them. More and more people in the community started getting worried. So hundreds of residents started looking for them. Just massive searches. But it was the rainy season in the Amazon, which is not easy that made things worse for people who were walking and trying to get through the jungle so i mean more difficult than usual right Mm -hmm. and they just could not find these kids emergency services decided to call off the search so this was actually sorry this was february 18th of this year oh this is recent so i decided to pay for the news on my phone because i got tired of like hey read this cool story and then you couldn't open it right all right so by february 24th emergency services was like look we can't dedicate any more of our time and our people to this. But the locals were like, fine, whatever, you guys go, we're going to keep looking for them. It was about four weeks after they initially went missing on March 14th, they were found by this man who was just out cutting wood, which was about he was six kilometers or about three and a half miles from the village of Palmeria, which is in the Lago Campania Protected Land Reserve. And that's close to where the boys live with their parents. So one of the boys shouted for help because he heard the man cutting the wood. And the guy heard them and followed the calls and saw them lying on the rainforest floor. They were like really weak, really hungry. And they apparently had a lot of skin abrasions because bites and all the things. Imagine almost a month. The two boys told their parents they hadn't eaten anything while they were lost and they only drank rainwater. So if you look at a picture, they are very emaciated. Oh, my God. So once they found them, they took them to the hospital where um, they were transported by helicopter to a better, bigger hospital after they were found and they were expected to make a full recovery, um, but being treated for malnourishment. This is not the first time people have gotten lost in the Amazon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a large place. I'm going to talk about it. And these are some stories we could tell on a later day. I'm not going to go too far into these. But last January, there was this pilot, Antonio Senna. He spent 36 days lost in one of the most remote areas in the Brazilian Amazon after his plane crashed. And in 2008, there was an indigenous 18-year-old boy who was lost for 50 days in a remote area of the Amazon after going hunting but after they found him he died shortly after a lot of us you know we hear about the amazon we're like save the amazon save the rainforest but Mm -hmm. what is the amazon it's a carbon sink is what it is jen that's right (laughs) what is it what defines it how big is it let's talk about it it's learning time everyone the amazon rainforest or amazonia you like that i like it It sounds like another planet (laughs) we're going to amazonia (laughs) um It's um, described as a moist, broadleaf tropical rainforest that covers 40% of the South American continent. 40%. That's a lot. That's a lot of moisture. That's a lot of moisture. It's a lot of continent right there. (laughs) It's considered a basin, and it's almost as big as the U.S. That's really big. So (laughs) it contains 1.4 billion acres of dense forest, which is half the planet's remaining tropical forests, 4,100 miles of winding rivers, and 2.6 million, million square miles in the Amazon basin. It's very, very big. So, of course, there's a lot of countries that it's part of. Eight of these South American countries, Brazil, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela, Guyana, Suriname, and the French Guyana. And there's 3,344 formally acknowledged indigenous territories wow. in that area. 
the majority of the forest is within Brazil. So that's 60%. After that, it's Peru has 13% and Colombia has 10%. And then there's like smaller amounts in all those other countries. It represents over half the planet's remaining forests. And it also has the largest and most biodiverse tract of tropical rainforests in the world. Uh, there's estimated to be 390 a billion individual trees separated by 16,000 different species. So of these 16,000 different species, there's estimated 300, almost 400 billion trees. That's a lot of trees. That's a lot of trees. I mean, I don't know how you'd get lost in there. (laughs) Silly. Around 80% of the food we eat originally came from the rainforest. That includes a coffee, a chocolate, rice, tomatoes, potatoes, bananas, black pepper, and corn. More than 30 million people live in the Amazon and depend on nature for agriculture, right? Clothing, medicines, and all that stuff. So there's definitely a clear link, they say, between the health of the Amazon and the health of the planet. The rainforests, uh, which contain 90 billion to 140 billion metric tons of carbon, help stabilize local and global climate. It also pumps out 7 trillion tons of water per year into the atmosphere. And its forests recycle 50 to 75% of annual rainfall back into the atmosphere. We kind of need the Amazon. You know, Jen, it sounds like it's important. So I don't know if you remember from our North Sentinel episode, which was a Patreon episode. I think it was our first Patreon episode. It, it was. And then we released it. We released it because we wanted to share. I had talked about this organization called Survival International because they try to help protect indigenous people or uncontacted people Mm -hmm. stay that way. According to Survival International, Brazil's Amazon is home to more uncontacted tribes than anywhere else in the world. Makes sense. There are thought to be at least 100 isolated groups in this rainforest. They like want to be isolated. Yeah. They say they're isolated or uncontacted, but everybody's like, not really. Mm. They probably have been. That also sealed the deal and made it so their decision to continue to be uncontacted Mm -hmm. with other tribes and outsiders because probably as a result of other disastrous encounters. Sure. And the ongoing destruction of the forest. That they 1000% rely on for subsistence. They're like, we're good. We're just going to be over here. (laughs) You know, what's funny is I didn't realize there were so many groups of indigenous tribes that were in the Amazon because I think I saw like one... I don't know, Nova special on the Amazon in like eighth grade or something. And I'm th- I, you just think of like the one tribe. Yeah. And that's it. I'm like, those are the only ones. I was actually reading about some of the tribes and there's like a group, I think it's like 4,000 in this one tribe. Mm-hmm. But just kind of some of the genetic adaptations, I guess, they've acquired because it's a small population with not a lot of genetic diversity. And there's certain ways that they hunt and live that their bodies have changed, you know, has adapted to those. Oh, wow. Those needs. Anyway, I'll talk about it in a little bit. Well, let's talk about species. To date, Mm -hmm. at least 40,000 plant species are known to be there. 16,000 tree species, which I mentioned earlier. 3,000 fish. Uh, 1,300 birds, 430 mammals, 1,000 amphibians, and 400 reptiles. And like one bazillion insects. Yes. And we kind of talked about this in the very first episode when we talked about Julianne Cope that, you know, they're studying all these different species Mm -hmm. at their station. 70% of the plants that are found in that area have anti-cancer properties. In a 60-acre plot in the Amazon, um, scientists found 1,104 different species of trees. 
And it's just under what's found in Asia, Europe, and North America combined. I mean, super, super diverse, right? A list of some of the famous animals found in the Amazon rainforest. Okay, so some mammals um, is the jaguar. The jaguar? The jaguar. So their numbers are decreasing, obviously, from illegal hunting and loss of habitat. But there's estimated to be around 6,000 individuals that survive in the Peruvian Amazon. And I'm talking about this one because it does come up in our story a little bit. Uh, They are good at all the things like climbing, swimming, hunting in the trees. Mm -hmm. The other one is the puma. I just love it. Because remember... That's great. Pumas, mountain lions. It's, yeah, we Cougars. talked about it. Second largest cat in the Americas mm-hmm. after the jaguar. And also, this was the cute thing about them, uh, just to remember from that episode, that they're so closely related to, like, kitty cats. Yeah. That they share the behaviors, like, they purr and they can't roar. I remember. But they're also, like, losing habitat and people kill them because mm. they have livestock and all that stuff. The capybara, largest rodent in the world, measuring up to four feet and 140 pounds. Aren't they the, yeah, aren't they the largest rodent? In the world. They are. Yeah. Largest rodent in the world. And the females are bigger, slightly bigger than the males. I love it. The name actually comes from coastal Brazilian um, people who called them the grass eater. That's because a fully grown capybara can eat up to eight pounds of grass a day. Lose the lawnmower and get yourself a capybara. They're so much cuter. <laughs> I know, right? They just look like they're high all the time. <laughs> you just have one in your yard. It's <laughs> <Just> so <laughs> random. Uh, they like water though so you'll find them in like swampy areas near lakes and rivers Mm -hmm. but they're very sociable and they can live in groups up to 10 to 30 individuals have you seen the cartoon i forget who drew it and it's like a little line of capybaras it's like the mom in the front and like little heads in the water i think i I you might have sent it to me yeah i think i sent it or i storied it and under the water is like they're on like a bicycle they're sloths they're giant river otters And those are endemic. Listen to this. I have to talk about this because it's a giant river otter. Five feet in length plus a three foot tail. That's eight feet of river otter coming at you. You'll see him eating fish and other stuff. And and I just can't imagine running into one. You'd be like, good God. There's giant anteaters and also giant armadillos um, hunting and the black market trade are endangering the giant armadillo survival. Similar to like the pangolin or something. Similar. But I know they're so different from a pangolin. Right, but anyway, right. they've decreased by 50% their population in 30 years. Probably people just eat them. Yeah. I'm thinking if they're giant, anything giant, people gonna eat it. I feel like armadillo roadkill is a thing. It is. Tamarins and marmosets, spider monkeys. Side note, when I worked at this pet store when I was in college, mm-hmm. but the lady that owned the place, she did dog grooming in the back. So mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> anyway, but she had a spider monkey. She said that she just acquired it. So she was like, yeah, I just kind of rescued it because they didn't have anywhere for it to go. So she lived there at the store and her name was Monkita. so she loved to eat mealworms and she got to know me because i worked all like almost every day and she would come and like jump on my shoulder and she was really sweet she liked me a lot Mm -hmm. she would like play with my hair it was weird and i like to let her out as much as possible because i just felt sorry for her because she had this big huge cage thing but i just like you know yeah come on monkeyta so then (laughs) i realized what she would do is she was pretty nice if she didn't like somebody she would shit on them And so I remember she was sitting on my shoulder and this lady was buying something. And she was like, oh, my God, what a cute monkey. Can I hold her? And I was like, no, probably no. I'm thinking. And she's like, no, come on, just let me. I just want to, you know. And this is before cell phones where people could do selfies and stuff. But anyway, so she's like really wanted to hold her. So I was like, all right. So she had this white shirt on. Monkita jumped on her shoulder and just shat all down her back (laughs) like diarrhea splat. And I was just like, oh, my God. 
It's so funny. It's <laughs> amazing. It was hilarious. Anyway, there's also a woolly monkey, a cap- capuchin, um, squirrel monkey, and all of these, there's different species. Mm-hmm. And the squirrel monkey is kind of creepy looking. If you, oh no, sorry, what back happened? up. Yeah. So my story was actually about a squirrel monkey, not a spider monkey. She was a squirrel monkey. Get it together. Sorry. Spider monkeys are the ones that kind of look like creepy, like a spider that will murder you, like staring at you with red eyes in the dark. But squirrel monkeys are really cute. They're called squirrel monkeys because they're small and agile and spend their life in the trees and they Mm -hmm. eat fruits and insects. Um, And unlike other New World monkeys, they can't use their tail for climbing. They only get up to like a little over a foot, only weigh like around two pounds. They're really small. She was super cute. Yeah, Monkita. Yeah. And they kind of have that color of fur like a squirrel. Um, but they say that the fur on their face is black and white, vaguely resembles a skeleton, which for this reason, they say the German name for squirrel monkey is Totenkopfaffen, which means death's head monkey. Wow. <laughs> Your German is spot on. Totenkopfaffen. And there's a bunch of other monkeys, uh, howler monkey, Saki monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just like a sock monkey? (laughs) Saki. Like S-A-K-I. Oh, okay. A pygmy marmoset? That's cute. There's like 150 species of monkeys found in the Amazon in the pygmy marmoset. It's one of the tiniest primate species. And the smallest one is found in the Peruvian and Ecuadorian Amazon. And it weighs just over three and a half ounces. So another one is the pink river dolphin. So it's Amazon river dolphin. It looks different from his uh, meth dealing cousins. <laughs> so they're pale pink, uh, elongated neck, and it can move from left to right. Right. Left. Instead of like this. <laughs> a long snout, like reminiscent of a beak and rounded head and smaller dorsal fin. So they look, I mean, I think you've people have seen them. They're kind of weird. Are those the ones that are endangered? Very endangered. And because of pollution and other projects along the river, dams and whatnot that mess up the natural flow. Although they've been traditionally been spared from tribal hunting because they're believed to be magical creatures. Of course. But now they often, they say, get struck by fishermen's boat or get tangled in nets. The tapir, uh, they can grow up to six and a half feet long and weigh up to 550 pounds. They can move quickly on land and are also good swimmers. They actually are hunted quite a bit and i wrote to myself tapirs are brutal because i remember a story in the late 90s when i was in oklahoma one of the zookeepers she'd only worked there a couple years was feeding a tapir mm-hmm. and the taper ripped off her freaking arm what her whole arm ripped it off dude and they're like pigs right and they're super chill but she had a baby and she oh, just no. put i think she was just doing her rounds of feeding i think this is the time in my career i think i'd already switched to ecology from zoology mm-hmm. but i was like i think there was a time when i was like i might work at a zoo because i was thinking about the part of the zoo that saves and does captive breeding and tries to put mm-hmm. populations back to the wild right that part of it i was really into but this i was like yeah no You're like i'm good i'm good i don't need a taper to rip off my arm thank they, you they look like a cross between a mini elephant and a pig Mm-hmm. There's also some bats. There's one. So you remember Julianne studied a lot of bats, right? Mm-hmm. There's all, mm-hmm. there's tons of bats. There's one called a Lophostoma yasuni bat. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. But this one in particular is one of the most 
peculiar looking ones. And it's named after the Yasuni National Park, which is actually in Ecuador and it's endemic to that area. It has Mm. these big protruding ears. And they're like a third. I think you can probably picture it. They're like a third of the length of its body. Oh, yeah. yeah, Those with the giant ears. They say it looks like a fantasy creature between a gremlin and a fennec fox. Anyway. That's creepy. They eat insects, but it wasn't discovered in 2004. So they don't know too much about it. There are about 150 ocelots per 62 square miles in this Yasuni National Park. So like a lot of density in that area, but everywhere else you hardly find them. So for birds, there's the, uh, I'm going to recall back to our episode one, the Hotsin. Remember that one? Yeah. Com- more commonly known as the punk rock bird because it has like a mohawk and I guess they're really stinky. They call it the stink bird because of manure-like odor caused by its unique digestive system. They process their food like cattle would. And so I don't know if you'll recall, Julianne knows she, w- she knew she was getting close to people because she saw this bird. Yes. And her dad had told her, anytime you see a Hudson, you know you're getting close to civilization or people because they stay closer to lakes. So there's also macaws and other parrots. The hyacinth macaw is the largest parrot. It's all blue. And we talked about macaws as one of the most critically, well, some of the species of macaws are the most critically endangered birds. Mm. They're so big that they can actually break coconuts with their beak. Are those the, are the hyacinth macaws the same ones that were for that movie that like, was it a Disney movie or Pixar? The all blue, oh, Rio? Rio. They didn't really look like a hyacinth, but it probably was because they're all blue. Right, right, right. I've held one before. Oh. They're really cool. But that's the problem is. When you were working in the illegal pet trade? <laughs> illegal pet trade. But yeah, so the illegal pet trade is the biggest issue with all these birds. Okay, so another one I'm going to talk about real quick is the harpy eagle. It's a very large and powerful raptor. It's the one that looks like. Um, like a harpy? Does it have boobs? No, it's the one that looks like a, what was that thing in Harry Potter, the bird that he flew on? So he didn't fly on a bird. A hippogriff is what you're thinking of. It's like a horse. He flew on that. Yes, that. It is? It's like a hooved animal with wings. No, but it's like a bird. Well, it has a bird head. Really? It's what? It's a bird. It's not a bird. It's a a hooved animal. Let me just show you. Hold on one moment. I'm just going to. Oh, my God. It looked like a bird. Well, anyway, to me, the harpy eagle, which is a bird, look like that thing. It's like half bird, half horse. Yeah. So let's not <laughs> let's not go there that it's a horse because look at the front claws. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like how I'm thinking harpy from the last unicorn, which is like a mystical creature, the harpy. And she had like three boobs. No, this thing doesn't have boobs. Anyway, <laughs> it's by some considered the most powerful eagle in the world. And this is the one that you'll see pictures of because its face looks so distinctive distinctive yeah the females can get up to 20 pounds and reach um three and a half feet in length they have a wingspan of seven feet and talons like a grizzly so over five inches so basically they could like steal your toddler (laughs) so just look out for that don't leave your toddlers around the harpy eagles for real it's bad news there's also toucans ant birds kingfishers flycatchers woodpeckers parakeets and uh, let's not forget the cack of the rack. <laughs> the cack of the rack <laughs> from Bastin? I don't even know what that is. Uh, storks and herons, hummingbirds, and the king vulture. King vultures, they're actually like kind of pretty. The ones in the Amazon anyway. I mean, growing up in the South, all you ever see are like turkey vultures or like black vultures. Well, apparently these are the, after the condor, these are oh. the largest of all the new world vultures. Oh, that's why they call it the king. The name derived from old Mayan legend that saw king vultures as messengers between the living and the gods. You'd want to be that bird. Yeah. I thought you were going to say between the living and the dead. And I'm like, you. I don't want to be that bird. 
No, and the gods, like you're talking to the gods. And they're like being helped by the cock of the racks. <laughs> what so, is a cock on the rack? I don't know. No, I gotta look, it, look up. it up. Oh Jesus, my god, I have no idea. On the rock or of the rock? <laughs> I mean, I feel like the visualization. There's a discrepancy it's a there. It's a cock of the rock. <laughs> I, I'm super worried about what I'm about to see on my phone. <laughs> oh, thank God! It's like it's a bird. <laughs> okay, just, well, just don't type cock on a rock. So far, I have not seen anything dirty. It must, I mean, people just know cock of the rock. That's actually a really nice it's set really of feathers pretty. on the it's top. It's so bright. Yeah, it's very bright. It's beautiful and bright. Let's move on to your favorite herps. I love it. The reptiles There's and so amphibians. Many. So the green anaconda is the heaviest, period. <laughs> it's the heaviest and one of the longest known snake species. It measures 15 to 16 feet long, and it can weigh up to 150 pounds. The reticulated python of Southeast Asia is slightly longer, mm-hmm. but this one is more robust. So they're non-venomous because they don't need it. I mean, I've seen that movie. Yeah, another one. Don't leave your toddlers near some some of these guys. Right? It's a problem. Lots of venomous snakes. And then caimans. Poison dart frogs. I mean, they're so cute and little, but, you know, people always use them, to, like dipping their arrows and spears in their toxic secretions. They also get traded a lot. Illegal pet trade business, mm-hmm. which is bad. Tree frogs, so cute. Iguanas and lizards and freshwater turtles. I did write something for a second about a freshwater because I guess they're like the biggest ones. Right, right. And then there's some fish. There's electric eel, giant catfish, the piranha. A hundred thousand different invertebrate species that have been described. It just, it's a lot. And in the past 10 years, a new species has been discovered every three days in the Amazon. So what you're saying is all the people who want to be memologists, herpetologists, entomologists, entomologists, botanists, (laughs) go to the Amazon. Just don't get lost. I'll tell you about it. But I have to tell you this one last thing, just one last species I'm going to talk about. Okay. Because you are going to die out there. (laughs) <laughs> there is this, <laughs> they found in 2008, a little cute monkey that purrs like a cat. It's a species of TT monkey, purrs like a cat and looks like a leprechaun. How do you spell this? T-I-T-I? T-I-T-I. Well, what it is, is they say it's a caqueta. So C-A-Q-U-E-T-A, T-T. And I won't even try to say its scientific name. But it was discovered during a scientific expedition to the Colombian Amazon in 2008. So according to the article that I read, there was a wildlife behaviorist that had seen this monkey about 30 years before it was actually rediscovered in 2008. But there was years of civil unrest, it says. People weren't able to go back and confirm and get better pictures or confirm the species. So the Kaketa TT monkey, not only comparable in size to the domestic house cat, it also purrs like a cat. And the babies, the baby monkeys are especially known to purr when they're feeling happy. Right now, because of the fragmented population of no more than 250 adults, It's classified as critically endangered. Oh, no. The population experienced a reduction of 80% between 2000 and 2010. And it was named amongst the world's 25 most endangered primates, according to this Primates in Peril publication, because where it's found, it's not in protected areas. 
And there's all these like outbreaks still like unrest between people, different groups. Like they showed a picture of one. It's crawling across barbed wire and it's really fragmented their their habitat. Happening within their range makes travel and field study to the area dangerous for people. So they're mm-hmm. not able to really study them consistently. Right. So now that we've gotten through all these species, now that you feel like you really understand the Amazon and like the size mm-hmm. and just the wealth of biodiversity... Yes. Are you feeling it? I honestly feel like I deserve a certificate of acknowledgement for the knowledge that is now in my brain. Now you have like... Thank you very much. You're welcome. You sat through the training. Um, So now I'm going to go to our survival story, which was shared with us by one of our listeners, Chandler. Thank, Thank you, very much, you so much. They sent an email asking us if we'd be interested in covering the story of Yossi Ginsberg. I'm going to say Yossi and his friends Marcus... Stom and Kevin Gale, because it was really about the three of them. Okay. Although Yossi wrote the book. So Yossi, or as he was born, Yosef Ginsberg, was born on April 25th, 1959. He was raised in Ramat Gan, Israel, with his parents, who were both Holocaust survivors. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when he was 18, he joined the Israeli Navy because they have the mandatory military service, and he Served three years, actually, um, stationed at the Red Sea. Um, When he finished his service, he was 22, and he only wanted to do one thing, and one thing only was be the Zohan. No, he wanted to... He wanted to have a big adventure. He wanted to go see the world. He wanted to travel. Mm-hmm. And his parents, especially his dad, really wanted him to go straight to school. Oh. Like, you're going to school. We survived the freaking Holocaust. We made a life for ourselves, and... This is what we want for you. And he was like, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. And then I promise you I will go. And they were like super mad about it. But and they're like, fine, go do what you want to do. So he had to come up with the money to travel. Mm -hmm. So he worked at all these different jobs. Like he went and did construction work in Norway. He went on a fishing boat in Alaska. This all sounds like adventures to me. Just to make money (laughs) to go on an adventure. He also worked loading and unloading trucks in New York. Uh, It was 1981. He finally had enough money for his Amazonian adventure. He made his way to Venezuela, and then he hitchhiked from there to Colombia. And while he was in Colombia, he met 29-year-old school teacher from Switzerland, Marcus Stamm. I think it's Stamm. It was spelled like S-T-A-M-M, but I think it's Stamm if you say it correctly sure but i'm probably not they became really good friends and they started traveling together because it's always good to meet like travel buddies yes yeah and absolutely. then they traveled around to la paz bolivia marcus was so they said he was traveling to work out a kind of a life crisis mm-hmm. um he had just come out of a difficult breakup and he was like finding himself good on you like mm-hmm. go travel through south america that sounds awesome They also met up with a good friend that Marcus had already made, this American guy from Oregon named Kevin Gale. He was 29 years old also, and he was a photographer. He was out like taking these amazing photos, basically thinking like, I'm going to work for National Geographic or they're going to buy my photos. I mean, he was really good, right? So he was there just for that. He was actually about to fly back to the U.S. to spend Thanksgiving with his parents, but decided to go on this other adventure with these guys and return for Christmas instead. Dun, dun, dun. Never skip Thanksgiving. (laughs) Don't ever do it. Listen, if there's one thing you're going to learn from this, go home for Thanksgiving. Yeah, if you celebrate Thanksgiving. (laughs) I mean, so while traveling around Bolivia, um, Yossi had met this mysterious Austrian who apparently claimed to be a geologist 
His name was Carl Ruprechter, R-U-P-R-E-C-H-T-E-R. That sounds great. Carl had told Yossi that he was planning an expedition to go to this uncharted area in Bolivia in the Amazon. And he was good. What? What? I'm just going to say that Carl is not a very mysterious name. I feel he like... He was super mysterious. <laughs> Megan, he was mysterious. So stop it. This whole thing has a Harry Potter feel to me only because I watched the movie and Daniel Radcliffe plays Yossi. <laughs> so I can't unsee it. Okay. Okay. okay? So, so when I think of the geologist, I think of... Remember the professor in the first movie that had the big hair, but... And he had the stones... The oh, are you talking? <laughs> are you talking about <laughs> not big hair? He had the big <laughs> turban, turban, because it had like yes. What's his face? His face on the back of his head. <laughs> Voldemort. Yeah, your your recollection of the Harry Potter books is amazing. Um, I read them yes. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Quirrell, Professor Quirrell. But had, if you think about it, he had some stones. He didn't have any stones. He tried to get. He the was stones. looking for the philosopher's stone. He had some stones. He was probably like, wished he was a geologist anyway. <laughs> so let's just keep it in mind that there's a movie with Daniel Radcliffe. It's good. It's really good. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> geologist, Carl, man of mystery. He was in search of gold and he wanted to go to this remote village of Takana and see like one of these... I guess not uncontacted, but remote tribes. And he was like, oh, yeah, I've been I visited these ancient indigenous villages, you know, in the Bolivian rainforest. And um, they've seen very few white men in their lifetime. And he would tell all these stories of like, and there's gold and there's this. And like Yossi was like, I want to go. I want to go see. I want to go see these places. Like I don't want to be in these towns where like everything's just kind of like, yeah, South America. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And there's people. But he wanted to see like deep in the jungle, the real deal. So anyway, yeah, Yossi was super into it. He went back to his friends, Marcus and Kevin, and was like, Mm -hmm. listen, Kevin. Marcus. Kevin. (laughs) Marcus, Kevin. Look at me. Look me in my eye. We have to go do this thing. It's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. So he did finally convince them. I think they weren't like super. At first, they're like, are you sure about this guy? His name is Carl. He says he's a geologist. And they're like, I can't even say his last name. I don't think I want to do it. This is a quote from VOC. So he says, it happened almost like a novel. The start of the story was when I met Marcus on a trip over a lake. Then there was Carl, an Austrian who was larger than life. I believe he picked me because of my naivete. He was experienced in the jungle travel and and told me about this great adventure we could have through the rainforest to discover a hidden tribe. Anyway, I feel like I would have been like, that sounds cool. Let's go. It's the 80s. 81. They actually got on a plane and followed Carl to this Apollo La Paz. And from there, they traveled down to the Tuichi River and to a local village called Asariamas. There's like a place where the Tuichi and the Asariamas like rivers converge. While they were there, they restocked on food and supplies, but it was very little. So they only had a little bit of rice, dried beans, and some salt. And then a gun because Carl said they would hunt and live off the wild. Like real deal stuff that sounds like a really good idea sounds great i feel like pam bales would be like absolutely not (laughs) pam would be like we're not doing that that's dumb then according to carl's stories about having visited these ancient indigenous villages um hidden deep within the rainforest inhabited by this is a quote primitives who had seen very few white men in their lifetime this is like what he told them right 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 they began traveling up the river across the mountains and they were heading to this 
location. He had a map. He's like, it's here. While they were hiking, they hiked and just hiked and hiked and hiked. They got hungry. Mm -hmm. And so Carl shot a monkey. No. I was trying to figure out. So I kept searching for like, what kind of monkey was this? Because there's all kinds of monkeys. I think they were howler monkeys. They're kind of black and they're a little bit bigger. Yeah. And I think they're more common. I'm not 100% sure. So if you're listening and you know what kind of monkey this might have been, let me know. But I I really tried to research it. Couldn't find it. And they would, so they just barbecued the monkey. And in the movie, it's funny and gross. Yeah. But anyway, Marcus was just like, (laughs) (laughs) he just like, he couldn't. So Not everybody else ate it. It was disgusting, whatever. So Yossi said that eating it was a real challenge. But he said, at that point, I would have eaten human flesh. <laughs> With the hunger that at that level, it's just, it's gross, but you just eat it. And a side note, Yossi also wrote, he's like, I, I actually wouldn't have killed a fellow human. But he also says that he understands survivors eating the dead in such situations. He said, survival is very powerful. All your faculties will cling to life. We're not tested usually, luckily. But when we are, we become superheroes. He's like, basically, you can eat anything when you're just like really starving. But Marcus was like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do it. And because he refused to eat primately what they ate, (laughs) But, um, but he kept getting weaker. So Marcus is struggling at this point. Are they lost already? Or they're They're not lost. They're just going to They're following Carl. Carl. To where this gold and these indigenous... Carl tribes. with the K, right. Carl right. with the K, with the gun. and So when was their first monkey? Was it like early on? It had to be pretty early, you know, not too long after they left that village mm-hmm. because they didn't bring food. They just had some rice and beans. And, and salt. Salt. That's it. So yeah. another quote from Yossi. He said, um, the environment was harsh. There were tensions. The food was basic. We shot and ate monkeys, among other things. So maybe they ate some other stuff. But yeah. at first I was cursing myself for my stupidity and wanted to go back, but I adjusted. Also, Marcus, poor Marcus, he got jungle foot or trench foot. Um, and he was having a really hard time keeping up. So that is basically like a fungal infection that can make your skin just kind of like fall off. It's just from having wet feet for too long. A lot of times during wars, the military actually made it a thing where soldiers would have to check each other's feet regularly. They had to take off their boots and dry out their socks. Mm Because it was such an issue, like people's feet were just like rotting off. Right. So Marcus was not only was he weak, physically weak, just from, you know, exerting himself and not getting enough nutrition. Mm-hmm. But he was also now he his feet were in just like pain. Like, so he could barely keep up. So, so Yossi had said that, you know, Marcus was telling them how much it hurt, but they didn't believe him because he was kind of complaining the whole time. Like they could tell he wasn't enjoying any of this and wished he hadn't gone. And so they just saw it as another complaint because they were still okay. This general kind of unhappiness was causing a rift between them. Yossi and Kevin wanted to keep going and Carl was seeming more and more sus. They're like, where are we going, Carl? When are we getting there? What is happening? Marcus is like struggling. And these guys just want to get to where they're going. They were really set on doing the damn thing, right? So at a point... Marcus can't. He just cannot keep up. So they all talk. They argue. They decided to abandon the journey. They were going to go back to Asariamas. So they started heading back to the river. There's a few things that are a little confusing because it's different in the movie and then things that I read. So I'm not really 100% clear on this, but I think so what they did is they headed back to the river, the Tuichi River. Kevin and Yossi were not happy. They said they both feel really bad about this now, but at the time they were just kind of like irritated because they're like, why did you come with us in the first place? If you didn't want to do this, like we wanted to do this. 
And they were like, you wouldn't eat the food. We, you know, this is what we're eating here. And now this happened, you're like weak and now you're feed. And it's just like, thanks a lot, bro. So there's two stories here. One is that they built a small raft and they were going to raft to the Tuichi River to this like little gold quarry called Curry Playa, I think. And it's on the riverbed. And from there, they were going to go to another place, like stop a few places and then return to La Paz, which is where they started out. Here's the difference. One of these says that the villagers helped them build this raft, but in the movie, it's like they built it. So Carl was kind of nervous about this plan the whole time because he said there are some rapids and he didn't think that they would be able to make it through. But they were like, no, 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 this is the only way because this guy can't walk. Let's just do this, right? Let's build the raft and go. And also Kevin coming from Oregon was like a- Outdoorsy person. Outdoorsy kayaker raft, you know, he went- whitewater rafting and stuff like that so he was really used to it he was a strong swimmer and all that stuff so they put their raft and they start going down and everything's like okay they carved some paddles and they're like paddling down it's like a flat square of a raft but they hit some rapids and things got all crazy and they're all like oh my god (laughs) and so like this one this way and they weren't like communicating that's when they realized they thought that probably carl could not swim because he was just freaking out and he made them pull over and he's like i'm done I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not going to raft. And so there they are stuck again. They were like arguing. So according to Yossi, on the raft, Carl argued with the others. Even though he didn't know anything about rafting, there was no cooperation, no friendship. It was hell. After this, I mean, things have just gotten worse, right? So Kevin and Yossi were like, we're going to keep rafting downriver. And Carl and Marcus were planning to walk up the, it says, Ipurama River to a village, which is close to that river's source, mm-hmm. and then return from there to Apollo. And so they agreed that they were going to meet before Christmas in La Paz. That was the plan. Okay. So you guys walk back to this village, and then you can catch, I don't know, hitchhike or catch a bus, or I don't know what they would do. Yeah. But basically so that Marcus could heal up. And then these guys wanted to keep going. They were kind of like into the river thing. They're like, let's just do this. Let's go a little bit further down. So they split. You shouldn't split up. You shouldn't split up. So Carl, he offered like we could all walk. Kevin was like adamant. He's like, nope, we're not going to walk. We're going to take this, you know, and we're going to head down this river. And Yossi kind of was like really torn. He was like, he kind of wanted to go with Carl and Marcus because that felt that's been the thing they've been doing. But he also had this built this really good bond and friendship with Kevin. And Kevin's like, let's go on the raft. And Yossi was still okay. So he was like, okay. And at that point, he was, I mean, he was worried. He wanted everybody to stay together. But at the same time, Marcus was having all the problems. So he said, in hindsight, it was a crazy decision to split the group in the jungle. But theoretically, it would only take Carl and Marcus a week to walk out of that area. So at that point, they split. They said goodbye to Marcus and Carl. And so they got on their raft and they packed everything. And they were, in the beginning, they were doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, ha ha, this is great. Like in the movie, like, this is so fun. We're power rafting. Yay. Until the river's current picked up and they were heading to a waterfall, Megan. What? Yeah. Did they know they were heading to a waterfall? I don't know, but it was crazy mayhem. They lost control of their raft. So what happened is the raft like was going all crazy because it was just getting more and more and more chaotic um, chaotic and the raft like flipped up and was like against this big rock and the river was super wide and it was like they're trying to figure out how to get to shore so kevin because he was more experienced and a good swimmer 
he like was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, Yossi. Like, you got to come. Like, okay, well, here's the plan. And Yossi was like freaking out, right? Kevin swam. He's like, I'm going to swim over there. And then you're going to throw me the line. And I'm going to hold. I'm going to pull you over, right? So he did. He swam to the shore. He made it. He made it. Jesus. And Yossi was like... I'm going to die. This is terrible. He tried to throw it. It didn't work. The river was too strong and it swept him out. He basically was just flying through the river upstream and just trying to keep his head above water. He said, I struggled to keep my head above water as I smashed into rocks and fallen trees. The level of pain is beyond my ability to describe. There were moments of great despair, but falling down that waterfall wasn't one of them. It was a roller coaster ride, which lasted 15 or 20 minutes. It was all I could do to keep my head above water. When I finally arrived on the shore, I had a moment of complete exhilaration that I actually survived. A few seconds later came the first feeling of disaster and despair. Even then, I thought it would only be a few hours until we connected again. The toughest moment was after a few days when I realized I was completely alone. He like flailed around, but somehow made it to the shore. Okay. After like 20 minutes of being dragged Right. But that's a fast river. It was a really fast river. Probably gone pretty far. He went pretty far. When he first got to shore, he's like, oh my God, I'm alive. But he was like, okay, Kevin, you know, I'm just going to wait here. He's going to, we're going to connect soon. But after a few days, still no Kevin. Did they lose the food? Everything was gone. So he shows up on the side with nothing, just himself. Not even a fruitcake. Not even a monkey. Actually, Kevin was rescued by local fishermen after he was stranded for about five days. Oh. He was floating on a log in the river and somebody found him. Jesus. I mean, I think what happened, I'm not sure how he ended up. I didn't get that story how he ended up floating on a log. I think he was probably just trying to find Yossi. Yeah. And maybe he was trying to find something to take him further down the river. Like quicker. Quicker. Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they took him back to La Paz. You know, Yossi wasn't there. He hadn't found any of his friends. Yeah. Nobody was back there. He went to the Israeli and the Austrian consulates to start setting up some rescue missions. Um, but he was told by the Austrian consulate that Carl was actually a criminal wanted by Interpol. He was not a geologist, Megan. That's so crazy, Jen. I know. His re- his real name was Professor Quirrell. <laughs> <laughs> he was after the jewels. <laughs> this is the craziest thing. That's kind of a miracle. It's like, I don't know how long. It made it seem like it was like a couple of days that Yossi was just like hating life. And then he hears this like clickety clankety in the river. He's still staying close to the river, right? In mm-hmm. hopes of finding Kevin. And his freaking backpack was floating down the river. What? Yes. So he <laughs> got in the water, got his backpack. And his backpack, he said, was the one that they packed with all the essentials, a lighter, you know, had like some cooking stuff. I don't know if like maybe there was some rice in there or Mm. something. I mean, it wasn't much. Granted, it had like a poncho. I mean, it was very, but it was like... Something he could use. Something he could use. So, but that's all he had. Poor Yossi. He spent the next three weeks lost without supplies or equipment. He ran out of the little bit of rice he had. He was basically living off of berries and fruits that he would find in the forest. And he would look for eggs, bird eggs, mm. and just, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> just like, <laughs> suck them down, whatever was in there. He even like stared and waited to see if a monkey would fall so he could eat it. 
He's like, here, monkey. <laughs> he said, the nights without doubt were the worst of all as darkness descends. There is no light whatsoever. The canopy swallows the stars and moon and the darkness is as thick as velvet. At night, all noises emerge, the screeches and roars and barks and calls, all things moving around. It was simply overwhelming and I had no fire or gun to protect myself. If not for my ability to daydream, I would have consumed myself during these nights of horror. So one night he was woken up by some rustling and some sounds and he came face to face with a jaguar he grabbed a can of mosquito repellent and a lighter and improvised a flamethrower it didn't hurt the jaguar i don't think but he ran away and he said it was a trick he learned from a james bond movie live and let die that is amazing killing a snake that was placed in his hotel room to kill him i guess that's how james bond killed it that's great yeah but the worst experience of all is he hiked day after day and what he hoped was the right direction to go to settlement was that he also got trench foot no or the jungle rot on his foot and it was so infected he said he had no skin left on his soles oh god they were just like bloody fleshy stumps and at that point he was like i'm sorry marcus i'm sorry i didn't realize you know because marcus was in a lot of pain and they were just like you're fine keep walking he said they were just chunks of exposed flesh i couldn't take the pain i dragged myself to a tree full of fire ants and shook it on my head the waves of pain and adrenaline distracted me from my feet i cannot even yes what no so here's another one this is a fun one Mm -hmm. so while he was like flying down the river originally he Mm -hmm. got uh, a cut he gashed open his forehead oh no about a week or Two later, he had to dig 14 worms out from oh, under his I knew it. his skin on his forehead. In the movie, it's like one long one, but in, he said it was more like 14. He also fell at some point and impaled his rectum on a broken stick after sliding down a mud slope. Oh my God. That's very unfortunate. Or one morning he woke up and he had pain all over his body because he didn't realize that he had spent the night on a termite nest. I don't know what those termites were doing to him, but it was painful. Some exfoliation. <laughs> Something. <laughs> They're like, doesn't taste like wood, but let's keep chewing. Hmm. On the 17th day of his ordeal, he did hear a plane fly overhead, but of course didn't see him. Reminiscent of Julianne's situation. Because the canopy canopy of the jungle is just like... Too impo- crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. too crazy. So he says, it's almost the same as Julian. When he heard the plane pass, it just broke me, is what he said. Mm. That surge of hope was the worst thing that had happened to me. So there he is. He's crying in the mud, contemplating suicide. And he looked up and he saw this girl. She, he says, for two days, I had the company of a girl. She appeared next to me. It was no less of a miracle if it was in my imagination that had summoned her up because it had happened at the very moment I had broken down and given up. She appeared in the worst moment when I really gave up. I talked to her all the time, but she didn't talk back. I built a camp for both of us and made a space for her to sleep next to me. The way he explains her is uh, she's an indigenous girl and she doesn't speak because she doesn't speak his language. Right. And when he first saw her, she was like kind of sobbing quietly alone. And then he was like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Come, I'll help you. Like, you can stay with me. Um, and so she she followed him, yeah, for a couple of days. And they he talked to her. Yeah, she slept near or next to him. He said, but then one night the girl just vanished. I was trying to hug her, and I realized that there was nobody there. I freaked out because if she's not there, that means I'm crazy. 
I thought I'd lost my sanity. I was very scared. I don't know exactly how to explain it. Maybe my subconscious pulled it out. Just something to push him along a little further. So he believes that this girl saved his life because she needed him. And so he had to be stronger for her in his mind. If it were a real girl, can you imagine you like look at this guy who's just like ripped up? Yeah. And like worms coming out of his gash in his head. Like bloody feet. And he's like, here, I'll help you. And you're like, what? (laughs) that's what he says he says we'll do more to save someone else's life than our own because i couldn't help myself anymore i felt it was over Mm -hmm. but the moment she was there suddenly i had responsibility yeah that definitely seems like your subconscious like wow it's really crazy right your brains fight for survival yes Mm -hmm. and then rainy season and i guess there was some rain and storms that were the worst in a decade jesus so he nearly drowned twice when it just like wherever he was just completely like flash flooded. Inundated, yeah. Yeah. So the second swamp I fell in, I couldn't pull myself out. He got stuck in one of those mud pits, like, um, what is it? Like the sand, uh, quicksand kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He said he couldn't pull himself out. I was thinking of committing suicide, but then I felt that if I was going to kill myself, I should have done it in the first couple of days. And after 19 days of struggle, there was no way I was dying then. And he was super out of it, like really weak, really out of it, and still managed to like pull himself out of this pit of despair. I was just about to say. Yeah. He really could barely walk. I don't know if he did it again, but that's, I think that's when he covered himself in fire ants to make himself like adrenaline up. Can you imagine? And those are the fire ants that are big and they bite like hell. Yeah. Like one of them will hurt. Is that the equivalent of the shot to the chest from Pulp Fiction? (laughs) Probably. It's like Amazon equivalent. He said that the pain kept him going. And actually, he was rescued the next day. He was barely clinging to life. He was had made himself made his way back down to the river. And he was just laying there, not doing too well. And he heard the sound of an engine. And so he basically was crawling over. And Kevin was with this indigenous, like, local guy. What? They had organized a search and rescue. And they freaking found him. Kevin saved the day. That's, That's all I'm amazing. Say. Yeah. So they had been searching for three days, and he actually had hired a local guy that supposedly knew the river better than anybody mm-hmm. and had convinced him to take him out, you know, all over the river just looking for Yossi. So if he hadn't done that, Yossi would have died within a day or two. For sure. Probably. So he spent three months after they found him in the hospital recovering. Oh, Jesus. Um, He said, it's a very difficult to see it as a coincidence. Kevin had found his way back to safety and came with some Bolivians on a boat to find me. They had given up hope but could not find anywhere to turn a boat around. Oh, so they weren't going to keep going, but they were just looking for a place to turn their boat around. And there he was. So they were forced upstream further to land the boat in order to turn it around. So he says, in the whole Amazon, the place they landed happened to be the place where I had collapsed unconscious. That's nuts. They said that, sadly, Carl and Marcus were never seen or heard from again. Oh, no. Despite attempts by several search and rescue missions involving Kevin and Yossi, so they kept looking for them, they were never found, and there was no sign of any campfires, human waste, or evidence of animals being killed or even vegetation being disturbed. Like, they took 
people with them to really like try to track them from where they left them right and in the direction they were supposed to be going and it was like nothing Nothing. so even marcus's mother in switzerland she um, went to a spiritualist and believed a story that he was living in peru so yossi agreed to try to locate him there but never found him none of the communities in the area had ever seen a, a gringo living there so it's like they just completely vanished did carl leave marcus to you know because of his feet and mm. was just like whatever and carl took off to go be a criminal right. geologist somewhere else possibly did carl get injured and die and then because marcus wouldn't have been able to go on on his own yeah and then they they both died but then not finding anything i know right is weird. i mean there's a lot of things that could erase a human pretty quickly out there true that maybe they were captured by that indigenous tribe there you go i mean probably not just saying today yossi is still friends with kevin you would want to be friends kevin's a good friend yeah and yossi said that kevin was an american catholic but a couple of years after the accident he met an israeli girl now he is jewish and lives in uh, jerusalem with his wife and his family they say that um and this comes up in the movie that yossi's own they say Jewishness played a part in his survival because he said that his uncle Nisam studied Kabbalah. And just before he died, he'd given this tiny book. It's pages yellow with age. He said it had special powers. I had a feeling that this book helped to keep me safe. My daughter is called Nisam after him. Aww. So in the movie, he has this little book with him all the time. Even mm-hmm. it was in his backpack. I don't know if he had it on him or if it was just in his backpack. And then he found it when he found his backpack. But it was yeah. all like bringing him good luck. Right, right, right. He says that his experience in the rainforest changed his life. He would never take it back. Mm. He became, after this, a very simple person. The simple things are the most precious to me. I don't ascribe much significance to the things I have now. That feeling of touching death has never left me. After returning from the Amazon, he graduated from Tel Aviv University in Israel with degrees in Jewish philosophy and business administration. He also studied the Kabbalah traditions Um, in authentic environments and continues to study religions of the past and the present, including the ancients, the classics, Eastern, contemporary, and the shamanic path. After about 10 years of after he was rescued in the Amazon, he went back to the Bolivian jungle. He put the Takana Quechua people of the village of San Jose de Uchipiamonas. He put them in touch with this development bank and they gave them $1.25 million dollars to build a solar-powered eco-lodge in the jungle. They trained the local people from that village how to manage it. So they are making money off an eco-lodge. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's awesome. Yeah, so he stayed there from 1992 to 95 and helped them build it um, and operate this eco-lodge. And it's located in the Bolivia's Madidi National Park. Yeah, he was looking for like some sort of sustainable way for them to make money. So they're not having to continue to take down the rainforest right he also put those same people in touch with conservation international which we're all familiar with familiar with that mm-hmm. one to set them up with like an ecotourism and so i guess conservation international helped establish that national park and acquire more acreage for the park oh, okay he also worked on protecting intellectual properties of indigenous people of the region he co-founded something called ethnobios it's a biodiversity prospecting company Um, local to the Amazon basin and taught indigenous people how to protect their own intellectual properties. That's cool. Yeah. So he really tried to uh, give back 
1997, he moved to Australia to help establish clinics that offer drug and alcohol detoxification, recovery, and treatment programs. He married three times, has four children, Mia, Kayam, Nisim, after his grand, oh, yeah, yeah. his uncle, was that his uncle? great uncle? Yeah. yeah. And Shalom. In 2009, he returned to Israel with his wife and children. So I think he spends time between Israel, Australia, and United States. He's a motivational speaker. Oh, okay. So when you look him up, you'll find that he's hired by a lot of like, you know, businesses to do motivational speaking. So he's really good at it. He's just like a really nice and very chill, very wise kind of guy. Right, right, right. So he wrote his first book. Um, titled Back from Tuichi in 1993. And it was super popular in Israel and sold millions of copies. And it was translated into 15 languages. And then it was published in other countries under different names, including Heart of the Amazon, Back from Tuichi, and Lost in the Jungle. And in 2008, he wrote a second book, which was called Laws of the Jungle, Jaguars Don't Need Self-Help Books. (laughs) (laughs) 2014, Arclight Films announced they would be adapting Yossi's book, Jungle, A Harrowing True Story of Survival, into a movie called Jungle, starring Daniel Radcliffe. And it was released in 2017. You can watch it on Netflix. Either I watched it on Netflix or I rented it on one of the other things streaming maybe i rented it on the apple tv i'm not i can't remember but yeah look at it's good i'll check it out i like movies yeah Uh, you watch a movie or two from time to time (laughs) so a little bit back to the amazon as we know faces many threats including deforestation from cattle ranching and agricultural expansion illegal and unsustainable natural resource extraction and climate change also so according to our favorite wwf fighters fighters for wildlife wwf does a lot out there to help farmers protect their crops and severe rainfall and drought so they're trying to like help fight against issues that are coming from climate change mm-hmm. like during these extreme droughts or extreme warmer temperatures it tries to work with the local communities to not cause further damage into the rainforest right one of the things that i read under the wwf is you can look for these products with this fsc label i know i'm just making life really difficult for everybody but <laughs> It's the Forest Stewardship Council. So it's a stamp that they give certain products that basically says that the materials used in the production are recyclable and sustainably sourced. The symbol also tells you that the product passes their environmental and social standards. So I'm going to I'm going to start looking for that. Remember the FSC label, Forest Stewardship Council, and you can go to their site. You can just Google it and go and see what they say about it too, like what products fall under that category. So, Megan, the organization to support. Let's hear it. I thought this one was really cool. It's the Amazon Conservation. It's at amazonconservation.org. In the 1980s, this is on their website. In the 1980s, burning rainforests in Brazil drew worldwide attention to the plight of the Amazon basin without a plan for development and conservation with this vast forest, which is also called the lungs of the world, disappear. Mm -hmm. And would it take with it all the benefits to global air and water, human and animal diversity, scientific and medical advances? So, so basically, this they've protected almost eight and a half million acres of rainforest, um, provided cutting edge tools to governments and forest users to protect their lands, empowered hundreds of indigenous communities to develop forest friendly li- livelihoods and hosted thousands of scientists pioneering innovative research at their three conservation hubs. And those conservation hubs are in one's in Bolivia, one's in Peru. I think there might be three across those two areas in Bolivia and Peru. And that's why I picked this one too, because they do a lot of work in Bolivia, which is where this story happened. Right. So they implement direct conservation solutions across 124 million acres 
of the Bolivian and Peruvian Amazons. So, and they say it's the most biodiverse place on earth. And this area is larger than the state of California, and it contains a distinct set of interconnected iconic landscapes whose unique characteristics shape how we deploy our approach in each place. There's a lot on their website. Obviously, I had a hard time pulling different ones, but they have different research sites. They work with the local communities quite a bit, and they're basically protecting lands and work with partners that buy back some of the Amazon, right? Cool. Some of the yeah. lands to protect it. Anyway, check that out. You had to go to their website. It's really nice. And you can go there. They also have eco lodges you can go and what? visit. So first, cool. we got to go see the or- Penguana. Oh, penguana. Yeah. And then we got to go see the orangutans. I mean, if we're going in order of episodes, Penguana's Wow, first. we have a lot of places to go. Jesus, Jen. This is honestly... Well, I feel like Penguana, you could go there because that's in Peru. Yeah, yeah. So probably pretty close to these guys and then jump on over to these. I'm going to need to stop by in Colombia and see the hippos. Just saying. I know that's not like a conservation site, but... (laughs) Let's go see how many of them there are. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's my story. That's That's great. Not my story. Sorry. That's the story I'm coming... It's Yossi's story and also Marcus's story and also kevin's story that's a great story i hope whatever happened that marcus didn't suffer yeah yeah i feel sorry for him and his family i feel sorry for them his friends that they could never find him i always think about that like if you know we all went traveling or even back when we were peace corps like i wouldn't have stopped looking for you guys yeah whoever we decided to go rafting with (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) you and lisa (laughs) i would have kept looking friend lisa yeah (laughs) anyway so megan yes now that you've heard so many interesting things from the story, mm-hmm. he did, you know, have a emergency preparedness kit. Most of it got washed away. But sure. what would you have packed in your emergency preparedness kit if you were stranded in the Amazon? I've been thinking about it. You know, we've been talking a lot about Harry Potter this episode. Yossi really needed, I mean, all of them probably really needed a small bag that has the undetectable extension charm. So I don't know if you remember in the last when when Harry and Ron and Hermione are on the run, they're trying to find the rest of the Horcruxes to destroy Voldemort. Hermione has this tiny bag, uh-huh. and it has a charm on it that makes it you can put anything in. She's got books in there, a tent. Oh yeah, I remember all that. All their clothes. It's like a Mary Poppins bag. Like a Mary Poppins bag. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Mary Poppins. I guess had maybe Mary Poppins went to Hogwarts. I'm for Just sure saying. Mary Poppins was a witch. Yeah, um, I think that's what he really needed was a small bag, a pouch. With the undetectable extension charm on it. So we could have everything in there. Everything you need. All the monkeys you wanted. All the, mo- <laughs> all the monkey meat, all the, like, you know, a change of socks, some oh, extra socks. Some, ex- some, some dry socks and shoes. Yeah. Some nice hiking boots mm-hmm. from the future. And I think that the small pouch that he has has to be Gore Tex because it's got to be like, you know what I mean? Like a, a nice Gore Tex weatherproof bag. That just like clips on your belt. Yes. Loop. With, with an undetectable extension charm. So he'd have all the shit that he needed. I think we need that for everything. Honestly. I need that daily. All the time. I love that. Perfect. And maybe a hippogriff just to, so you, you know, you don't got to walk. You could just fly on your hippogriff. And maybe like some sort of GIS, portable GIS. (laughs) Yeah, all the things. All the things. All the things. But yeah, I think that's, uh, let's just keep it in the Harry Potter universe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe Marcus, like, maybe he made it. He's just, you know, 
He got whipped away to a fantasy land. Yeah. And he's living his Hogwarts. best life. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like Marcus, if he were in one of the houses, he would have been Hufflepuff. a... Uh, oh, for sure. Hufflepuff. <laughs> 100 percent yossi would have definitely been a gryffindor for sure well i think kevin gryffindor yossi maybe ravenclaw maybe because he had engine a little bit of ingenuity to make him like to get through it yes but kevin was the rescuer and we know where carl was now wait a second (laughs) i just want to (laughs) say i think we've talked about it on here before that i took the harry potter i signed up for that (laughs) whatever Oh, and Reagan. I took the Harry Potter quiz and it said I was a Slytherin. <laughs> I don't so you're hidden. Uh, I don't know how to take self. that. I mean, I'm a cancer. Already people think I'm kind of like a soft person. But most serial killers are cancers. That's not true. And I, Geminis. I think <laughs> it's like Gemini, Scorpio. I don't know. Aries. Those are angry people, apparently. Geminis know. aren't angry. No, no, well, no. Aries. Aries. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I'm just saying that, I mean, Slytherin, whatever. Carl was a Slytherin. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I definitely think Hufflepuff is where I would land, honestly. It's like they're low key. They're so low key. What would I be? I think you'd be Ravenclaw because you're, you're kind of like you, you know a lot of stuff. And like, I think people are a little bit scared of Ravenclaws. <laughs> they're a little, little intense. A little intense sometimes. Yeah. That's why we get along, because you have that, you have like an intenseness about you, and I'm just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, I'm glad we just put all four of them in their own house. Yeah. That's good. It's important. It's important to do. (laughs) You know, and also Daniel Radcliffe, bless him. He'll never not be Harry Potter. It's true. Even with that stage show he did about the horse, and there's some like nakey, nakey stuff in it. Oh. Nakey butt. Horns? Horse. Oh. What's with the one with the horns? Didn't he do one with like... With horns? Yeah. Where he had horns growing Tusk. up? Tusk? No, no, no. You're, that's the other guy. No, no, no. He had one. Okay. What? Now we got to Google some Daniel Radcliffe movies. I'm telling Daniel you. Daniel Radcliffe was not in Tusk. No. Okay. Well, that was the weird one that you were talking about, right? Hold on. Damn. Here we go. Called Horns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it? Called they, Horns? Yeah, it's Called Horns. He is blamed for the murder of his girlfriend, awakes one morning to find he has grown a pair of horns. And he gets like supernatural powers and he tries to solve the case. I never saw that movie. I didn't either, but I knew there was something about, but that's not the one you're talking about. But I heard there's some naked butt in that one. Yeah, no, he was in this stage play about a horse. And I forget the name oh, of it. Oh, that was like right after he finished right the Harry after, Potter. And everyone's yeah. like, oh. And he was like full frontal on a, yeah. on a stage in New York. And they're like, something. we don't want to see Harry Potter's. Oh, my God. Yeah. Magic wand. <laughs> when Guardium love your son. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And with that. <laughs> good times. Good times. He is actually a really good actor. I didn't. Oh, he was great in this movie. Like, yeah. so good. Yeah. Well, and also I watched this kind of creepy movie that he was in about a woman in a house or something. It was like a suspense slash <laughs> There was creepy. a woman in it a says, house. <laughs> I think it's actually called Woman in the House or oh. like House on the, I don't know. Anyway, it's like this, it's kind of creepy. I think it's billed as a horror movie, but it's not actually horror. It's suspense. Anyway, Jen, that was a great story. I'm glad that Yossi made it out and he and Kevin are friends still that's cool still friends and still telling their story if you watch i think season one episode three of i the i shouldn't be alive kevin is in that one i think he's given yossi's given a bunch of interviews because i mean that's his thing is he's a motivational speaker but but then definitely check out the movie so you'll you'll like it so we are going to be having a new uh april 
bonus episode we are. for our Patreons. It's happening. It's coming. I'll be doing that story. I already know what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. Another survival story, actually. Uh, we hope that our patrons enjoyed last month's. Oh, yeah. That, that happened great... this month, but still last month's Kinda, Patreon sort of episode. For March, but yeah. in April. But it was great. I yeah. love that story. It's fine. Thank you for that, Megan. You're welcome. And if you would like to become a Patreon, just go to our website, click the link, or you can go to our link tree and Instagram. And it's as easy as that. Just go to Patreon and sign up. It takes seconds. It's amazing. You'll become a certified and nature nerd. Another way you can support us is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker. Be sure to give us your address on the contact form on our website or email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail.com. Another way you can support is is go to our website and check out our sponsors. See if there's anything you'd like to order. There's links, you can get discounts. They're all zero waste or eco-friendly businesses that support us and we love them. And we're not gonna read the ads, but you can go check it out. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher, click that follow button. That'll help us out as well. You can also send us ideas for topics that you would like to hear. Crazy stuff you found online. You can send that to our email or DM us on Instagram. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Every time I see, I like see or hear that phrase about Guam, it makes me think like a morning show host with like a cup of coffee with like a lot of steam coming up, just like (laughs) some big hair, a lot of makeup, a lot of makeup, just super ready, shoulder pads, but no pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it takes its toll. I know even Biden has gone gray. (laughs) Just kidding. That was great. Yeah, no, I. But funny, like Trump didn't go gray. Well. So crazy. When you airbrush your own hair on. (laughs) It's like a cotton candy machine. (laughs) Just steps underneath it. It's like. (laughs) Done. Because then you can eat it at night. It's It's like caramel cotton candy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what was I going to say? I don't remember now. Well, I guess guess when you're a president, you age as if you had the quantity of children that is the United States, right? Good Lord. I think I think that's what happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about the aging that you went through with just your first child. And then imagine having like three billion more. Yeah. No, thank you. It just it just a lot. Did I ever tell you that story? When I was in taking this wildlife management class in, in college like my last year of school mm-hmm. and we had to go on a field trip and it was like me and like one other girl and like thirty five guys because you know, we're like no girls were in our anyway, so <laughs> And they're all sitting around like the campfire, like drinking beer and telling stories. And one of them was like, oh, yeah. And he just picked up that armadillo and swung it around and it shit everywhere. <laughs> and shit was just like, I was like, why would you do that? You're, You're a wildlife biologist. Why would you swing around an armadillo? They're so cute. And I right? remember I was like, I hate all of you. I can't. Yeah. I was like, I can't wait to go back to Seattle and be a grunge girl again. <laughs> Anaconda don't want none unless you've got buns. You can do side bends or sit-ups, but please don't lose that butt. You don't like Sir Mix-a-Lot? I thought it was uh, What's-Her-Face. What's-Her-Face did do a remix. Oh, that was the remix? That's Sir Mix-a-Lot. But calling it an Anaconda. Well, you know, but it was Sir Mix-a-Lot. He's a big dude. So I wonder if Anacondas get offended by that. Maybe. It's like the cock of the rock. (laughs) I feel like cock of the rock 
It's like that's it's like that saying like cock of the walk, like somebody who thinks they're really cool. I have never heard that saying before. You haven't? Never. Is that an Oklahoma thing? <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. Cock of the walk. Cock of the walk. There's a restaurant called Cock of the Walk. It's a chicken. It's a chicken restaurant. You have to type in like saying. Okay, there are like a three cock of the walk restaurants Mm -hmm. one is in mississippi Mm -hmm. two are in mississippi sorry one is in tennessee so jackson ridgeland mississippi and then nashville tennessee that's getting in your area your neck of the woods right the phrase refers to someone who acts more Uh, important than others in the group a conceited bossy person yeah the cock of the walk i've never heard that before that's amazing he joined the israel israeli uh navy as part of their they have like the mandatory military what what did i say israeli (laughs) no no no. i was just thinking about that adam sandler movie where he's like he's like an israeli uh, operative you ever seen it and he has don't mess with the don't mess with the what's it the zohan that's it and he's like some kind of special agent in the israeli army anyway continue god i completely forgot about that movie it's not bad yeah at the time i think i thought it was funny but i don't know about now New, New York, York City. City. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, uh, that really chaps my hide. <laughs> uh, what was the other good. one? Get a rope. <laughs> Get a rope, yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody our age. Remember that. Okay, there's gold. There's indig- indigenous tribes that have never seen white people. Hippogriffs in the forest. <laughs> Unicorns. What is it when you have to find all of uh, what's-his-face's things? Like the... <laughs> It's like the last couple. What is it? <laughs> What's his name? Voldemort's pieces of <clears throat> shit. What is his, his pieces? Like it's, they have to find this and they have to find that. They're, it's like a scavenger hunt for all his bits. They're, they're horcruxes. Yes. The the items that he hid his soul in when he killed somebody. That's it. Yes. Yeah. yeah Let's yeah. go find some horcruxes. <laughs> There's horcruxes to be had, and Yossi, a.k.a. Daniel Radcliffe, was like, I'm into it. Also, Harry Potter. I believe there's some maps. It's a thing. You touch it with the wand, and it <laughs> shows up. I love your Harry Potter knowledge. You know what it is? It's because I rewatched the whole series My every kids won't year. let me watch it, because they're like, that's scary. So I at least keep, like, a memory of, you know, all the things. But yeah. Well, anyway. The Marauder's Map, Jen. The Marauder's Map. It's fine. 